Hi everyone, I'm Ben Tapper and this is Invisible Truths. This is a podcast for anyone who carries burdens that feel too heavy to bear, questions too vulnerable to openly discuss, or pain that you're certain no one else will understand. Even more than that though, this is a space to acknowledge and explore the invisible truths within each of us. If you're still interested, let's get started. Hi everyone, welcome back to another week of the Invisible Truths podcast. I'm here with Herman Jaramillo. He is an intuitive mindset coach and he has a new program that is getting ready to start called From Stuck to Unstuck. Uh, And he does some really creative and interesting work around one's inner child and helping one address and heal their inner child so they can experience a more fulfilling life. But we'll, we'll jump into that more deeply here uh, as we get going. So uh, thank you for being here, Herman. The first principle of radical self-awareness is that it begins in blindness, meaning that you have to become aware of what you don't know before you can start the process of really unpacking things for yourself and your life. So as you think about the journey that you have taken, can you think about or name a moment in particular that symbolizes your entry into blindness? Okay, I, I would prefer uncovering the blind spots mm. that I had um, to self-awareness. And I believe the biggest one was around 13 years ago. And I believe that's why I'm here today speaking with you. Um, I had a moment in my life that I thought the only thing that was important was money. I've been doing businesses since I was eight years old. And I always did it for the money. And I thought that if I had money, I would be happy and all my problems would fix. And especially I was in a very rough place in my life. And um, I said, more than ever, I need to get money and a lot of money. I put myself a big amount and and, and, um, I tried to look for money, asking everybody for businesses. Nothing resulted. Uh, I live here in Colombia, so to touch business, uh, the doors of illegal businesses was easy. Um, from drugs to emeralds to credit card fraud and all these kinds of things. And fortunately, nothing resulted until I started to lend money at a high interest rate. One thing led to another and I lost it all. Um, in that moment, my life took a crossroads and said, okay, if I continue this path, I will eventually finish dead or in jail because that's that I know in myself that's where I would take me or I have to change my life completely and <clears throat> I took the second route so one day I entered a, a bookstore and I found a book called conversations with God I believe it found me and I, I had been coming from an atheist background of over 14 years hating everything that I do and in that moment I started to say let's look at this out and started to give me a lot of answers around my life and towards how the world works. And, and it pretty much brought out all the blind spots in me of how I was looking at my life, how I was looking at my family, life, partnership, everything around me. And I was mainly looking at it out of a big fear of, of not accepting myself and really rejecting myself up to that point and feeling that I was not a good person and, and I didn't trust myself. And, and it was really pretty much bringing all that to the light and, and seeing how I had not seen it during 30 plus years of my life. And I didn't want to see it either. And, 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 and 
that believe that's because of today of that moment that I, I'm here today because if not, like I said, the other round was not any good. So um, that was the first time that I really brought in a lot of blind spots to my life. Thank you for sharing that, Herman. That's powerful. And in a story that I don't think listeners of this podcast have heard before, I was really intrigued when you named how much fear was operating in your life. And so I'm wondering if you can speak to, um, actually, what I'm, what I'm playing with is this idea of what it means to accept or love oneself. It's a theme that I've been writing about and speaking about in the podcast and my blog for the last couple of months and a couple other podcast guests that I've had on here. Melanie touched on it. Mark touched on it. The idea of what it means to, to love oneself or to even offer oneself grace. And so once you named that fear was operating for you and once you named that maybe you weren't fully accepting or loving yourself, what is that first step towards self-acceptance or self-love like for you? I believe the first step because all these what we talk about normally turn out as cliches, mm -hmm. which I'm pretty much against. Although, like they say, they're all true. But one thing is to say it, another thing is to apply it. Yeah. So one of the things that I've always gone and, and I do it and apply it to my life and I apply it to the people I work with is what are you gaining out of it? It's like, wh what was I gaining out of living out of fear, living out of not accepting myself? Because it's easy to say, accept yourself, love yourself, Forgive yourself, which I don't believe in self-forgiveness. Um, it, it, you can say all these things and they sound wonderful. I used to do, I do angel therapy. And when you do that, it brings out all this information. It's like, yeah, yeah, I need to do that. And you leave the therapy. And it's like, yeah, I have to forgive myself. And what is that? How, how do I do it? It's like, if you go back here and, and, and it sounds very interesting, but if you haven't done it before, there's a reason. And it's not like an on-off switch. So one of the things I really go into deep is like understanding why, what do I gain out of it? Why do I like it? And it might sound very strange. And I say I like it because if I didn't like it, I wouldn't be doing it. So in that moment, I started to see how it's an MO for me. For example, I believe, or in, at least in my case, and I've seen a lot of people, I love to play victim. Um, for example, I love to put myself down because that's a way of calling attention of other people. That's a way of saying, hey, I exist here. Um, please pity me. And although you can use that up to a certain point, but it's a, it's a defense mechanism that we have since we have these emotional voids from when we were a child, believing that we were not accepted, we're, we're rejected, we're not loving and as who we truly are. So one of the things is that when, since we were little, we're not taught to be our true selves and we were taught to be somebody different. We're taught to adapt to what our caregivers wanted them from us so they can feel good and it might sound a little bad but they transmitted their fears onto us so it's like through my fears through their fears i'm sorry they wanted us to act a certain way so they would feel okay so that permitted us not to be our true selves and not to trust ourselves so it's it's easy to say accept yourself and I'm like who the heck am i because i've been like i'm sorry to say like a whore to other people it's like all the time I've been trying to adapt to other people saying, hey, Benjamin, you want to be my friend, but please tell me how you want me to be so you can accept me because I, I don't know who to be. I don't know who I am. So, so the first thing to answer this, it's like answering what am I trying to get out of it. In my case, it was acceptance. 
what I believe was acceptance by other people, was trying to be recognized by other people, not get rejected, that I feel it's one of the biggest fears that human beings have. Um, the second step, once there, it's like, okay, is this working out for me as I want to or not? Because it, it's changing gears here. It's feeling like probably I'm not getting the results, not talking good or bad or what people say. It's like, okay, am I generating what I want? And I'm saying it's monetary results. It's, am I being me? Am I being happy or not? For example, am I in a relationship that I want? Am I in a job that I want? And possibly it's not like that. And if and I'm on that place, most surely it's because I'm, I'm trying to not accept myself and not trying to bring who I truly am. Third, it was to try to give myself a space. It's like, hey, Herman, what do you really want, man? It's like, go ahead and talk about it. Just open up a safe space for myself. That's why therapy or coaches are so good because they open up that space for us. But in this case, we're starting to open up with them because I have to work with them, but also for myself, it's like, what do you want to do? Well, I want to do whatever. I want to, I don't know, talk in front of thousands of people. Okay, that's what you want to do. Let's, let's elaborate. Let's, let's work around it because normally we come up with ideas and initially it's like, come on, man. You've never done that before. Look what people have told you and all these kinds of things that come up. So it's mainly coming to that space of understanding what we really wanted to open up that space with a lot of love and compassion towards us. So it's, it's a combination of several things there. And it's really like creating that space of, okay, you want to create different results in your life. Let's do that. And, and that's part of the inner child work that I do. So I, I resonate a lot with much of what you just said. I too wrestle with this core fear of being rejected um, and have a strong desire to be not only seen as I am, but fully accepted as I am. And the older I get, the more I'm able to realize and name the places that desire rears its head and the ways that desire affects how I exist in relationships, uh, be they romantic relationships, friendships, family situations. I mean, it, it affects how I act in almost every type of relationship I'm in, even, even at work. And so... Uh, as much as I sometimes wish that weren't the case, it is the case. Um, and it may always be the case for me, right? There, there, it just is. And so I'm learning to just accept that it is and to, to trust that I will continue to experience healing around it. Um, but also learning to let go of that expectation that it will eventually just all be gone away because that, that might, ne might not ever happen. Um, so I wanted to, to name um, an appreciation for you speaking to some of those struggles within yourself because it, it resonates pretty deeply within me. And I, I, I'm curious about something you said. You said early on that you don't believe in forgiving yourself. And so I'm wondering if you can tell me more about what you mean by that. Okay. Forgiveness, <clears throat> it's one of the words that I believe it's lost all this weight as what it really means. And I, and I relate to uh, forgiveness in three different kinds of ways. As one, as I forgive you, Benjamin, for example. Second, you forgive me. And third, I forgive myself. So let's go for, for you forgiving me. The best way for you to forgive me, I can ask you for forgiveness and say, Benjamin, I screwed up, man. I'm sorry. And I can continue saying, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But here happens two things. One is... Sometimes I did, quote unquote, something to you 
that probably didn't do it bad, but it affected you because you have your own emotional things there. So it's like, it's not really my fault, man. It's, 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 I'm sorry that uh, later, later I'll talk differently or do it differently, but it's not really my fault that it affected you so much. So didn't do anything bad. But second is the best way for you to forgive me is to do it differently, to not repeat the same patterns. So that's the first part there. And sometimes I even lose my power towards you because I'm like begging you, Benjamin, please forgive me, man, please. And if you don't forgive me, I'm not going to be anybody. And it's like, it's not, that's not the idea. The other part is, Hey man, I, I forgive you. I do a lot of shadow work from Carl Jung. And part of it is the basis of it is that everything that affects me of other people is something that I don't, I have not seen. I have not accepted or I don't want to be in myself. So if you did something quote unquote bad to me, mainly what you're showing me something that I do or that do not want to accept in myself. So I believe more than saying, Benjamin, I forgive you, man. It's like, thank you because you're showing me something inside of me in this way. I'll be able to empower. And I believe that's the biggest way to forgive. And the third that's self-forgiveness. I strongly believe that we never do anything bad. What I mean by this is the following. Everything that we do in life, Every instant, every decision, we do it based on the knowledge that we have, the tools that we have, the experience that we have in that instant. And we take what we believe is the best decision. So it's easy, and and I'm sorry to put this in these terms, but I feel it's a little cowardly to say, hey, I screwed up yesterday. Today I can see the results. I know that I screwed up. I believe it's better and it's, it takes courage to say, you know what, Herman, I back you up. I know what you did yesterday and I want to investigate why you did it. And, and it's mainly everything we do it towards self-love, even though it sounds strange. Yeah, you were unfaithful to your, to your partner. Is that self-love? Yeah, that's what I thought, man. It's like I thought I would have a little fun and probably be that, but I didn't see beyond the consequences and all of that. So I'm not saying let yourself off the hook. But it's taking the responsibility. One thing is to blame yourself. Other thing is to take the responsibility. When you start taking the responsibility, it's acknowledging what you did, why you did it. Because once you know why you did it, you can change it. So in that moment, it's not so much as I screwed up. I have to forgive myself. It's okay. This is why, why I did it and what I'm trying to get out of it. Do I want to continue getting the same result or not? No, let's change it. So I don't have to forgive because... Once you say forgive, you start saying I screwed up. I did something bad. If you start taking responsibility, what you do is change. Yeah. So what I what I think I hear you saying is a couple things. One, the concept of forgiveness has been neutered. Uh, it has lost its punch. Yeah. And two, you rather than focusing on this neutered idea of forgiving oneself, you believe you want to invite people to look at the reasons behind their actions and to take an honest um, an honest look at why we did what we did, what is motivating us, what desires are operating, and then begin to unpack those. We can still acknowledge that our actions had negative consequences or hurt someone else or even hurt ourselves. You can still acknowledge that and desire to do better. That's fine. Um, but you were saying you still have to do that work, right? Um, and the way that we think about forgiveness, it often leaves out doing that very intense personal work. Yeah, because it becomes just a word. It's, it becomes like, 
oh, please forgive me. It's like, I'm sorry to say this and it sounds strange. I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. I don't believe in God. I, I try to live him more than believe in him. And one of the things we, we try to live is like, I'm looking for, for God's forgiveness. And I always ask people, how do you know if God forgave you or not? Mm. And they're like, yeah, but so we're waiting for his, for his forgiveness. Although I believe he already, for, he doesn't even have to forgive us. It's like, I'm beyond that. Um, but we're waiting for that. I used to work with addicts and they're always asking for God's forgiveness. And I'm like, really, man, you don't use your energy in another place. Use it to empower yourself instead of waiting for that. Because you'll never know when it's like, he's not going to appear and say, you are forgiven. I forgive you. It's, it doesn't appear that. So that's part of all the forgiveness part. We're staying there. And, and, and I believe it's holding us back instead of moving us forward. So as, as we talk about uh, ideas of God and forgiveness, you mentioned earlier that you do angel therapy. I think, was that the term you used or was there a different term? Yeah, I do angel therapy. I'm a psychic medium, past life reading, all those kinds of things. Yeah. Okay. So can you talk about, there may be some listening and they're like, oh, I don't really believe in that or, oh, that's too out there for me. Personally, I'm down with it. I haven't always been, but the last year of my life has been nuts spiritually. Um, and so I, you know, I, I went from a place of this deep intellectual, well-reasoned faith. And then all of a sudden I had a very mystical experience in a hotel bar one year ago, last August, that just blew that faith wide open. Um, and so I, you know, I'm down with mediums and, and, and all these things. And so it's not that crazy to me, but there might be some listening that are kind of weirded out by it. So I'm wondering if you can just walk us through what you mean by a term like angel therapy and how that connects with this work of intuitive mindset coaching that you do. Okay. Um, great question. I used to be there and, and completely, it's like before I, I wasn't the person typical of my parents were reading the tarot cards or my, my great grandmother, nobody that I know used to do this or has done this. And this found me. It's like before, like I said, my mother passed away when I was 18 years old and I was an only child. And, and in that moment I got in a war with God because it was like, my life was terrible in that moment. I even thought about suicide and it came up to a point of like, Hey man, if you're so good, save my mother of a cancer, of a miracle, and I believe in you. If not, you're pure crap. Eventually, he, she died, and I went into torts against everything. And, and everybody that came in talk about tarot cards and spiritual stuff, and like, that's pure ways of, of ripping off people. I don't believe in that, and all, all these kinds of things. So once I started to make these changes in my life that I spoke about before, I studied Reiki, healing, and my wife, uh, who, who is today my wife, and her, she talked about angel and angel therapy. I'm like, what is that? And I saw that. I'm, I'm recovering from a man. Like, I, I saw that little sissy part like angels. Oh, come on, man. I need something more manly here. And I went to an angel therapy, and it's like, oh, God, how did that person know so much about me? It's like, no, it's not me. It's the angels. I'm like, what do you mean? So I went to study this with Doreen Virtue, and and one thing led to another, and it's like, how can I do this? And it came to me very naturally. And I started to use this information in a way that, for example, I will remember once I was in a therapy and with a person, and she showed me her late grandmother a photograph, and it's like, 
that's her. And like, yeah, she's telling you this. And I started to connect with the grandmother and it's like, how did I do that? And I started to describe a lot of things from her emotionally that I couldn't get anywhere else. It's like, or the world is playing the biggest joke on me or eventually I can do this because it's like, I come up with all this information that I don't know. It, it comes through me. So while I was starting to use this with people, one of the things that I started to notice was it was beautiful that all this information came out, answers came out. A lot of them, a lot of people know them. It's like, it's not new. It's a lot of people, oh, I knew that, I knew that, I knew that. And it got to me, one of the things that happened with this is that everybody took the information and also that happened to me as a, as a, as a client. We took it to our head. And I love the, what the indigenous say that one of the biggest or most important paths that we should take is of 18 inches from our head to our heart. And once we take it to our heart, I believe it's action. It's like we integrate that completely in our system and in, in our whole soul and everything else. So when we go to the, when I started to do his therapies, I connected people with, with their lost people that have died and looking into past lives and red energies. And it was very effective and very beautiful, but people didn't take it to action. That's where I started to do coaching because I saw therapy. They talk about it's healing of the past coaching is towards the future. So I said, okay, sometimes we want to do things like coaching towards the future, but it's not that easy because there are things that are holding us back. So that's where I started to integrate intuitive part intuitive mindset with with coaching is a way of hey we're going to do parallel what is we're going to start healing the past you start going to start understanding that's where the inner child comes in and start getting a grasp of it and, and, and feeling better about it but at the same time we're going to start taking action steps towards the future which is where you evolve you take it to your heart and you start putting it out there to to the service other people so it was beautiful and also the part of the mindset I felt it was very important because it's like all the beliefs, all the limiting, um, all the emotional voids, all the fears that we have there. And it's an integration of body, soul, and mind where we will take the person and help them evolve and, and get to a different place in their life. So that's why I integrated both of them, especially to, to be able to, to really create changes in, in people's lives. And can you talk about what it, feels like from a sensory standpoint to be in contact with spirit or angels um so like for instance i'm aware as we were talking or as i was listening to you talk i felt a very specific sensation in my chest right about where my heart chakra usually is and that's mm -hmm. a sign for me that something spiritual is happening either there's a spirit or an angel trying to connect with me or they're doing some sort of energetic work within me to open me up right um, and so for you as you do this work can I'm wondering if you can name where you notice those feelings um, and and I think it might be helpful there may be those listening that have experienced sensations like that before and never known what it was and so maybe us talking about it can help them begin to put a name to what they're experiencing what they're feeling Sure. Um, one of the things that I've seen in the new age world and spiritual world, we get too complicated and we want to bring our head and lose the spiritual part. Why do I say this? And this happened to me also. It's like, what should I do to receive or to hear the angels more? Should I stop eating this? Should I dress this way? Should I put in a smell, a candle or what the heck? And it's, 
I teach people when we work around this, it's like, learn how to talk to Archangel Michael on a bus. And it's like, you don't have to put in a, a big altar and wait for an hour and do all these things to say, Archangel Michael, let's talk. I need protection. It's like, if you feel that you need protection because he helps out with the protection, um, the idea is to be able to apply it in any moment, be very practical around it. Obviously, if you can bring in more things, wonderful. So one of the things that you, you talked about is you feel it in your heart and it's wonderful that you identified it there. And for each human being is different. People want to classify it. So if you receive it in your heart, I have to feel it in my heart. No. For example, when I do the readings, I receive it for each thing is different. Sometimes I hear them here in my, in my head. Um, normally I hear, hear them there. But for example, when I'm reading that people do a medium chip or during the psychic reading, um, readings about the energy, I feel it in different parts of my body. Sometimes I feel it in my heart. Sometimes I feel it in my stomach. Um, I feel it in my, my legs. It depends. And, and, and that's a part where I believe every human being creates their own alphabet around this. The thing is to play around with it. It's like saying, what is your favorite food? Or what is your favorite ice cream? So you go to Baskin Robbins. Try them all out and see which one is the best one before saying my one and only, like a little kid, I only like vanilla, but have you tried another one? No, but I only like vanilla. Try them all out. So here's the same thing. It's like people want to see who they work with. It's, you can work with Jesus. You can work with Buddha, whomever you want to. And I try to play with them. So I say, hey, let's try out Archangel Raphael. How do you feel? And I try to play with him. How do you sound? And I try to talk to him. And, and, and I start to see, do I like him? No. Or I love him. Or today I play with him and tomorrow I'll play with another one. It's like people, which is my angel? I'm like, do you, do you own your angel? Do you pay taxes on him? It's like, no. So it's not your angel. That's your ego. Talk about an angel. Second of all, don't believe that you only have one angel. Why do you want to have one angel the rest of your life? Why can't you have several of them? There's, there's not going to be any unfaithfulness here, or people feeling, feeling jealous around it. It's like play with them. So you can have, and what is his name? So I have to read it out of a book. Call him whatever you want. Hey, it's Alex. It's Jennifer. It's however you feel. And that's the part. Talk with them with respect. So it's like, and with each one of them, you can play with them in a different way and feel them and hear them differently. And they'll sense some people can smell them. Some people can see them. Some people can hear them with their ears or with their eyes. Some people, I, I, I internally see them. I internally hear them, but some people can do it externally. Some people, I sometimes feel things, but it depends on the, on the energy that I'm reading in that moment. So it's like, and sometimes I change and my body changes or I talk a different way. Some people say, hey, you just said a word that this person used to say and normally I don't say it. So it's, it's pretty much giving yourself the liberty, the freedom of let's play with it. Let's, let, let's try this out. It's like anything else in the world. Let's, try, let's like try this car out and see if I like it or not or, or this food. And, and, and that's the thing there. So I know I cannot give you a specific answer and a lot of people are like, oh, I wanted something specific, but that's their ego. I would prefer to give them the freedom of try it out, see how it works, if you like it or not. No, I think that's incredibly important to name. And, and from my perspective, it's a place a lot of people get stuck. Um, we are, are willing to experience freedom 
sexually, where we're willing to experience freedom in the things we eat and the things we drink and the things we smoke. But when it comes to our spiritual selves, we want to hold to these hard and fast ancient rules and think that our eternal fate depends upon following them. You know, if you just step outside and look at the abundance of creation that is present, the the wide variety of, of life that is here, you have to know that freedom and creativity is inherent with the divine. If, if it's inherent within the divine, then it should also be inherent within your experience of the divine. And that means that we should be able to experience things within the divine and within spirit that transcend what is written on the pages of this book or that text or that's heard on the words of this pastor or that imam. And we need to give ourselves the freedom to experience and to play, like you said, with spirit. Because then we find depths of meaning, depths of experience, depths of growth. At least for myself, I've experienced depths of growth and knowledge that I didn't think were possible. Depths of healing, I didn't think were possible. Um, I had to have this mystical experience that opened me up to those things um, unexpectedly. Because had I expected it, I would have just ignored it. So God had to catch me by surprise. (laughs) Um, And so I appreciate yeah. you talking about um, that freedom to play. It's, it's, it's been really important in my life. And those that uh, know me well know that I am first and foremost uh, a really rational person. I depend upon my mind a lot to move th- through the world. I'm an Enneagram 5. Um, and so to hear me talk about a mystical spiritual experience is probably throwing some people off. Um, <laughs> but uh, hey, that's okay. We're complex people and I, I don't shy away from it. I own it. That's my experience. That's my life. I believe in spirits and angels. And I firmly believe in deconstructing the systemic injustice that runs through our society and can break down why I believe that. So they're, they're not mutually exclusive for me. And I don't think they have to be for anybody else either. Mm-hmm. I'm going to step off my yeah. soapbox and ask you another question. So I'm wondering if, if, if um, I know for, for me, as I've worked more with spirit, and really as I've just done work in, in counseling in general and coaching, I keep coming back to my inner child. I haven't always named it that, but there's this nine-year-old version of myself um, that is crystallized in my mind and in my heart, and that is when some of the deepest traumatic impacts of my life were felt. And in some ways, that young boy is calling the shots on my on my life or has before. And so I have to keep going back and either reassuring him that he's safe, reassuring him that he doesn't have to fight or call the shots or, or hold the responsibility he's held for as long as he has anymore. And I know that you do a lot of work around healing your inner child. And so I'm wondering if you could do two things. One, touch on what you mean by that. And two, help people understand how to begin to even see or meet their inner child because i think that's the first step before you can work on healing them you've got to you've got to interact with them and and see them okay i'm gonna go a little back there and and talk a little bit about how we create it or and and what happens here because i believe we're dividing three parts Mm. obviously much more but let's put three parts there that it's how i do the work around the inner child there's um an adult part in us that's a logical, rational part. There is the, what I call a special inner child, which is the part that's bringing in all the innocence, playfulness, the creativity, visionary, all these beautiful things that we have. And there's the wounded inner child, 
which I believe is the one that's pretty much running the whole show. It's the one that the logical part says, we're going to take a decision and immediately it's like, oh, I didn't do that. Why didn't I do it? And it's because the wounded child comes in. And this is the part I want to talk about how we created that wounded part inside of us. The, especially when you hear this, I'm not talking to a parent. I'm not talking to a spouse. I'm talking to a child, to a person that has been through this and not to blame, to condemn, or to justify anybody. So what happens here? When we were little, from zero to seven years old, um, our brain frequency, first of all, have you heard of a uh, brain frequency? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, there are different ones, beta, alpha, theta. Mm -hmm. And when we were little, we were in theta, which means that's why they say kids are like sponges because we don't have any filter. So everything that we hear, perceive everything, it comes in directly. And it's like, you believe you're stupid. Yeah, I'm stupid. You don't filter that. You don't question that. It's, it's the law. So that's why the Jesuits used to say, give me a child and I'll give you an adult at seven years old. And that's why normally what, what happens to us is that when we do hypnosis or we do very deep meditation, we go down to that place, to Theta, to bring out information or to put in information. So another thing that happens is we, when we were children at the same age, we believe our parents are perfect. So what happens there? Anything quote unquote bad that happens to them, we believe it's our fault. So it's like we see our father crying and it's like, dad, are you okay? But I'm asking obviously uh, out of interest, but also because I thought I did something wrong here. So the other thing that happens is one of the basic needs beyond what Maslow brings in is for me is to give and receive love. It's the belonging part. It's the tribe part. So we adapt to them as a way of trying to maintain that giving and receiving love the whole time. So we try to do something. Our parents don't like it. So they tell us to be different. We all the time are creating a gap between who we are and who we become. This become is the person that we try to be to adapt. That's where we create the people pleaser to adapt to other people, to, to try to be um, around them in a way that we can start receiving and giving love the whole time so we won't get rejected. One of the things that happens there is in this gap, we create, I believe, our ego, our fears, our limiting beliefs, our emotional voids. We start to project. I believe every human being is an addict, so that's where we create addictions. That mainly addiction is something that helps us anesthetize the, the pain of not being our true selves. And as soon as we start growing, we find a partner and we say unconsciously, hey, with that partner, I can try to fix what I couldn't fix when I was little. So sometimes we tend to use our partner and that our partner uses us as a way to try to fix what we couldn't fix when we were little. So initially it looks like a match made in heaven. And it's like, oh, I thought I knew you my life. And, and then all these things that we say to each other. But what happens there? If we get married to that person, we have a child, we unconsciously believe my partner can leave me, but I'm owner of my kid. So what do I do? I try to fill in my voids with my kid and I put onto him or her everything that I have. And this is a cycle that's been repeating the whole time. So with this, we start creating the wounded inner child. 
And since we have this belief so ingrained inside of us, that's why that wounded inner child pretty much um, comes into picture the whole time and dominates everything. So how do we start communicating or what should we do around this? Mainly has to do with acknowledging that there's a wounded inner child of us. That's why I, I come back to the initial part of, our, of saying, why do I do this? Why am, what am I trying to get out of it? Because, for example, in my case, I was a victim. Why was I trying to get it? attention? Because I thought that my wounded inner child didn't get this enough attention when he was little. So I'm trying to get in this moment. I'm still caring with that wound. It's like a big scar. It'll never go away. What I will be able to learn is how to deal with it and learn what triggers it. So the first thing is understanding these actions that probably I don't like. Why am I doing it? What am I trying to get out of it? Because that's wounded inner child coming out and saying, hey, I exist or I need something from you. So that's why I do this. Once I start looking at it, it's not saying I did something wrong. That's where the self-forgiveness part comes in. Saying, okay, I understand why you did it. Let's try to do something differently. So normally I speak to my inner child. I, I, I feel like I have him on my right side. So I start talking to him in a way that I would talk to a little child in a very slow voice, mellow voice. And, and I start thanking him for everything that he has done. Because everything that he has done is always to help me out. Even though it's not help me out, but he's trying his best. It's like I cannot ask anything more from him because he doesn't know anything else. So asking like a little kid doesn't know how to add to do an algebraic uh, problem. It's like, it's impossible. So here's the same thing. I'm, what, what else can I ask from him? So once I start identifying these emotional voids, how is the wound? The idea is for me, the adult, to start feeling in that in my inner child, to start giving that, to start saying, like standing in front of the mirror, hey, man, I love you, but I really love you or I accept you. And how do I do this? Not giving away my power, for example, not asking, um, Benjamin, without you, I cannot live or stuff like that. It's, it, it's mainly coming up to a place of really feeling complete. Sounds easier, but part of it is to be able to do that. It's also identifying from whom did I get these beliefs. Memories, it's hard. We, we tend to dissociate a lot because that's a defense mechanism that we have. But we can understand who made us feel this way, my father, my mother. So part of it is to be able to, I do an exercise where I write down and I, it's like I'm talking to my father and saying, hey man, you made, or I say it much more aggressive, but it's like, you screwed up. You, you did all this wrong. I feel bad. I want to tell you all these different kinds of things and let it all out. It's my inner child speaking to my father which couldn't have been done before because normally we're like, you can't talk back to me. You have to, <clears throat> you can't get mad or anything like this. So I'm giving that space and I'm empowering my inner child to be able to say what he or she wanted to say. So once I do that, I start disconnecting energetically and emotionally, cognitively also, and I start letting that go. And once that I start creating that closing the circle between my adult with my wounded inner child. And once that part is like, the, the, I, tell them, I tell them a lot, hey, man, this has not worked a lot. Look at the results. It's not helping us a lot. Why don't we try to change strategies here? Let me, the adult, come out and see what happens here. I'm going to normally one, one of the things they most ask for is safety. So it's like, hey, stand behind me. I, 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 you'll be safe with me. Don't worry about it. And I normally talk to him before certain events. 
that I know they trigger me. So I won't come up with this childish energy. And I'm not saying childish as an immature, because one of the things is that, and it's happened to me, with people that, that get me triggered, if I come out, if I don't do this exercise before, they get engaged unconsciously with that energy and they start treating me like a child. And they start taking advantage of me or doing these different kinds of things. So if I come out as an adult, even from how I stand or how I sit down, and I tell this, this child, hey man, I'm gonna protect you no matter what. I'm bigger than him. I'll stand here beside you and don't worry. So, and I create triggers and stuff like that to be able to communicate with him. And I start coming out as an adult in, in, in that way. And I start telling him, thank you for what you're doing and you're trying to protect me and you're helping me out. And I also bring up the special inner child there because now, well, he has a space to, to be able to come out. So man, give me ideas or bring out the smile or let's play a little bit or stuff like that. And my wounded inner child starts feeling better because now he or she's protected. Now he is accepted. It's not like I'm saying, shut up, or you're bad, or you're stupid, or I'm ashamed of you. No, man, because that's what we've always been receiving. Now the idea is to change it. I love you, man. It's really a thank you. And once that relationship will start changing, and, and you can come out differently and start creating different kinds of things in your life. Yes, yes, and yes, a thousand times to everything you just said. Uh, I have experienced all of that so much. And in one of my earlier blog posts this year, I used the analogy of driving a car. And for me, I, it, it felt like this nine-year-old Ben was driving the car and I was, adult me was sitting in the back seat, right? So I'd be in these situations and he's calling the shots, telling me where to go. And I don't even realize it. You know, it just, it's so automatic because it's a, a trauma response in many instances and it's the way I'm used to operating that I'm not aware there's another way. I'm not aware there are other responses. And so once, I think it was a, a counselor may have pointed that out to me, then I could then literally in the moment imagine myself tapping the young boy on the shoulder and saying, hey, can we pull over for a second? You know, and then getting out, switching seats, having him sit in the back seat, giving him a snack, you know, his favorite game, buckling him in. And then I take over driving, right? And so it's each of us, I think, is going to have a different way to visualize connecting with our inner child. But for those of us that have experienced any sort of trauma, abuse, abandonment, neglect, any sort of event like that, I think there are ways in which our inner child comes out and, and learns to take control because, because it had to at some point, right? Or maybe it learns to hide because it had to for safety. And so you don't bring your full self into situations. I do that too. When you talk about abuse and trauma, I believe, and this is something I cannot sustain medically, but I believe everybody has suffered in one way or another trauma or abuse. It's mm -hmm. not so much as you've been raped by a hundred men and then you've been abused. No, man. It's like, I believe everything that goes against your integrity, it's almost like an abuse. And that's something we should start acknowledging much more because it's like, how do I compare myself to a person that's been burned with an iron? And I had a different kind. I had the best childhood. No, man, if you had a father that didn't respect you and didn't like you and didn't love you, that's abuse. And, and emotional and verbal abuse is something that we should start acknowledging more in, in, in the world. So um, it's something I believe that's why inner child work is so important for everybody because it's everybody has suffered this one way or another. And I wanted to, sorry that I interrupted you, but I really wanted to bring that up. Yeah, that's, and that's a phenomenal point. Um, I think 
as you were talking, what came to mind is this phrase of theological abuse, even, or ideological abuse. You know, um, you talked yeah. about defining trauma as, as any instance in which you were forced to go against what is most natural for you or, or, or not be who you are authentically. And I think a lot of times caregivers and guardians force children into that just because it's all they know because they want control or sometimes even for good reasons. But from an early age, you can be stuck in a cycle of having to do things that aren't natural to you. Um, I imagine this is especially true for, for children that are identify as uh, LGBTQ uh, persons, you know, um, especially if they grew up in evangelical or strict religious households. Mm. Um, and so, so I, I'm so thankful that you, that you named that. Now I just, I want to, I think the beauty of naming that is the reality that this inner child work can apply to everybody. It's not just people yeah. like me that maybe were beaten by their, their father or stepfather or people that were sexually abused. Like, there's, there's an inner child in all of us that may have been wounded at some point in time. And so it's worth asking those questions and seeing how we can connect with them. Yeah, and don't compare yourself to other people. It's like you always find somebody worse. But it's when I worked with addicts, people that came from the street, it's like, who are you? You never passed through I passed. And it's like, I don't care your history. What do you feel, man? I feel fear. I feel rage. And like, I'm in the same boat as you are. Let's talk at that level. Let's not let's not do, go into a pacing contest of who was who was beating worse. It's like there's no sense into it. It's what that produced. Yeah, yeah. So so Herman, as as we uh, wrap up here, two things. One, if people are interested in your program or interested to learn more about the coaching you do, how can they find you and learn about those things? Okay, um, my webpage is Herman Jaramillo, J-A-R-M-I-L-L-O.com. Um, the program is more towards entrepreneurs where we're working a child and instead of help people coming from a place that they feel they're not getting any action to a place of getting action. And my one-on-one mainly has to do with HermanJaramillo.com and, and all this inner child work. And that's the basis of all the work that I do, so... I like to end these podcasts with something tangible and practical that people can do. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm wondering if there's a brief exercise that you can give people that they can do in less than five minutes each day this week to begin uh, connecting with their inner child. Um, stand in front of a mirror. Just look at yourself directly in your eyes. Like you're looking at your partner when you're just getting in that special moment. Look deep into your eyes and just feel whatever you want to feel. If your eyes start looking in another way, go back to it and just open up your heart in that moment to what you're feeling. Just ask yourself what you're feeling and just let it all out. And it's pretty much that. Um, it's just being intimate with your own self and, and all these fears. And don't worry about why it comes up and all these days come up only that I'm sad. Yeah, let it all out. That's part of accepting yourself. It's like, it's not trying to change it. If you want to cry, cry. If you want to feel mad, mad. If you feel ashamed, ashamed. Just, just let it all out in that moment. And you don't have to stay five minutes. Just stay 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. If it, the, the more, the better. If you want, do it several times a day. But just stay there. And if you journal, it's good for you to journal it just to have something that what has happened during the week, what came up what repeats a lot, 
if you want ask yourself some questions how are you feeling like you're asking that person what do you want what do you need um how can i help you and most surely in that moment you're speaking to your inner child so it's 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 sometimes it's like my child might say just a hug so i hug myself or or give me something of fun today it's like an ice cream or stuff like that and and it's something quote unquote that might sound very simple but it's like just do that and hear yourself and and appraise you or say i love you that's it so it's it might sound very simple but it's very deep and it's not that easy to look at yourself for a while to your eyes directly so Excellent. Thank you so much, Herman, for joining us and sharing your wisdom this week. It's been profound and um, I hope transformative for those that listen. So I appreciate you being here. Benjamin, thank you for this. Thank you for listening to episode 16 of the Invisible Truths podcast. To learn more about Herman, please check out the links in the episode description. As always, if you found something insightful or inspiring in this episode, take a moment to subscribe and leave me a five-star rating. And if you are interested in learning how you can support my work, feel free to check out the Invisible Truths Patreon page. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode of the Invisible Truths podcast. Until next week, I'm Ben Tapper.